Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Jill, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I am so looking forward to diving into many different topics surrounding travel, money, all that good stuff that you and I both love talking about today. But before we dive in, I would love to hear a little bit more about you, your story, and how you got to where you are today. Hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. What an exciting title of a podcast. These represent like three of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm thrilled to be here. And as you've already said, my name is Jill. I am the co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast, where we primarily talk about personal finance, but how it intersects with all aspects of our personhood. So I love exploring us as whole people, which it sounds like you do as well. My personal background is in social work, so I am a licensed clinical social worker. I still do work kind of during the day in that realm, and podcasting is a growing side hustle for me. I have also lived in an RV at one point with my husband, partially to travel, partially to own within our means, partially to pay down debt, so kind of all those things. The work, wealth, travel has led to a lot of the reasons for my decision making. That's amazing. So in you saying, you know, a brief glimpse of your story, how did you get interested in the world of personal finance? That's what you talk about, of course, on your Frugal Friend podcast. So where did that interest start for you? Well, first of all, we all intersect with finances. So there is no one of us who isn't in some way needing to make financial decisions usually on a daily basis, although depending on our connection, understanding, relationship with money, we may choose to think that we're not making any money decisions or try and ignore it. But for me, yes, personal finance has been a part of my life always and forever, more and more since becoming an adult. And with my background in social work, as many of you can imagine, I do not, have not, made a ton of money in that field. And so for me, my introduction to the world of personal finance as a young adult was, how do I make this work? How I'm, I'm not making that much money, but I still want to live my life. I want to do what I love to do while also not depriving myself of that. And so really trying to find problem-solving, creative, kind of scrappy ways of doing the things that I want to do, even though the profession that I've chosen and that I love is not known for being super lucrative. And in this process, I, I became really wanting to, desirous of paying down student loan debt. My student loan debt was more than what I made in a year, which again, wasn't saying much. I think it was $33,000 that I owned. And when I first entered the workforce, I made $24,000 a year. And that felt really daunting and overwhelming to me. And I felt the weight of my debt. Maybe I wasn't looking at it every day, but I knew it was there. And so my husband and I made some pretty radical decisions to be able to reduce that, become debt-free. And it was 
in that process that I met Jen, my co-host of Frugal Friends podcast. She was a personal blogger at the time writing about her own debt payment story, debt payoff story. And so uh, while a a podcast on personal finance might not typically be something that I would have chosen, I never would have considered myself, oh, an expert on finance and I'm going to talk about that. I probably would have gone more the mental health route. But I was really excited to be able to learn more, to be able to talk with a friend that you didn't have to twist my arm to get together with a friend weekly, record a podcast, talk with one another, but also be learning about this area where I definitely did not feel like an expert. I had a lot to learn. I thought it could help me. And so this thing kind of evolved. There never was this, this is what I've always wanted to do, but I saw the benefit of having a friend in my corner, being able to reduce the guilt and shame around finances, becoming confident in my own right, and kind of shifting some of my mindset around finances really is what's happened for me in the last five years of podcasting and and beyond with some of the decisions we've made. So in you saying all of that, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey, because it sounds like your journey is very similar to probably most people's journey of they go to some sort of higher education. They leave with a degree and I think more prevalently a bunch of debt. And so what did that look like for you? And you said you made some radical changes when you realized you're like, I have this debt that could potentially be hanging over my head for the rest of my life if I don't take some sort of action. What actions did you take and decisions did you make that were a little bit different to get you set up on a a positive personal finance path? So my part of my journey now, I'm not going to say I was perfect at it or that I had all this blueprint template in my head as I was making the decisions. But as I look back, there are some really foundational pieces that we even recommend to people who listen to our podcast when wanting to reduce debt wanting to see a different life for themselves, wanting to be able to afford the things that they actually value and care about. And I know a lot of times we hear, oh, cut out the cappuccino, don't do the latte, stop with your frivolous you know, shopping spree once a month. And while there could be benefit to that, I'm not saying don't look at some of these minor discretionary spending, but usually it's to the exclusion of these other aspects of life that cost us a lot of money. Our housing, our transportation, our food, our clothing and other bills. These are the heavy hitters that actually cause us to maybe not reach our financial goals as sooner as we'd like. And I know not everybody's in a position that I was in about eight, seven to eight years ago, but we really wanted to look at these heavy hitters of living housing situations. And so it really was another one of those evolving, morphing stories for my husband and I. We were on a family trip by in a very modest lake house, and he was looking at RVs just for vacation for his parents. He was thinking this could be something that they enjoy in their retirement years. But as he's looking up these RVs on Facebook Marketplace, he realizes, wait a second, these are tiny homes. They have everything that you need to live. They've got bathrooms. They've got little kitchens. They've got a bed and they're on wheels. And what if we lived in one of these? And I, 
it felt really very quick from that point of looking at these RVs to recognize that we could do this. How much money could we save? This is exciting. And so simultaneously, we were in a debt payoff journey trying to reduce that $33,000 of student loan debt. And throughout the years, we collected other debts, really kind of on purpose as a result of necessity, needing to take out a loan for a vehicle. We ended up taking out a personal loan for this RV, but yet looking at the long game of we might take out this loan at this percent interest, but we're going to be able to live at this level of monthly expense. What's that going to do for our finances, our debt reduction? What's that going to do for our lifestyle? And so that was a part of the journey, looking at those heavy hitters that usually take a big chunk of our annual income and thinking, what's something that we can do to reduce this? And I say radical because I don't think that it is necessarily within everybody's life circumstance to be able to say, I'm going to leave my apartment or I'm going to leave my home to go live in an RV. But it could be worth considering for some people or at least to spark the conversation of thinking outside the box. If there is something that we might value more, to me, I valued more being debt-free, having the ability to travel that is a high value of mine than I value living in a traditional apartment. I would rather reduce my expenses, make some sacrifices maybe for a year or two. For me, this wasn't a lifelong decision. I didn't go into it saying, now I'm a full-time RVer for the rest of my life. And I think that's one of the things that can scare us too, is boxing ourselves in. Like I've made this decision. Now this is the rest of my life. And for me, it was, let's see how this goes. Let's experience these benefits to our finances and go from there. And thankfully it worked. And so I have loved that, that aspect of our journey. It did lead to debt freedom for us which then led to us RVing again. So we kind of went in and out. At another point, we house sat in a log cabin. We lived with my grandmother and took care of her for a year. So a lot of these kind of non-traditional living situations really did help us out. And then we ended up buying another RV, a smaller one. We're like, we could go even smaller. Let's downsize. Loved it. And that actually, the sale, we flipped every RV that we lived in, uh, renovated it, made it nicer, and made a profit on the sale of each one of our RVs that we lived in. And we were able to then cash flow my master's degree with the sale of, of the RV. That, that was the sale of the first RV. The sale of the second RV was a down payment on a house. So that's my that's last very cool. quick story. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. And I like that you bring this up because I know that you don't know too much about my background and my story, but I also kind of decided to opt for a bit of an untraditional life. I think, you know, same as you, it's not the life that you think of when you were probably 10 years old. You know, you probably didn't think or dream of buying an RV. For me, I at 21, I realized that the life I was living was I could basically see the rest of my life. I knew what the rest of my life looked like. I knew I would move up the corporate ladder and I would get a better job. I would buy the house and have the 2.5 kids. And I didn't want to know what the rest of my life looked like. So I ended up moving to China and that's like a whole nother story. And that's pretty extreme. But, you know, in your case as well, you kind of saw that you had to make some sort of radical change, as you say, 
because you knew that you wanted to have more financial freedom, not even just to pay off loans, but maybe to just have that extra money to have the freedom to do whatever you want. So I do like that, that you shared that about what your journey looks like. And I think it's becoming, it's interesting because it's becoming more normal, which I absolutely love to not just follow the norm and follow what you're quote unquote supposed to do, but kind of actually live life on your terms and actually do what you want in your life. Well, I think so much of that comes with a deepened self-understanding, knowledge of self, what we actually enjoy, what we actually want out of life. And I think this concept applies to all aspects of our life. But one of the ways we talk about it related to specifically personal finance is this concept of values-based spending and recognizing that so much of what is sold to us on Facebook and Instagram, and even from friends within our circle, or just the overarching societal norms and pressures and messaging of what you should be doing, what should be relaxing to you, what what you would enjoy, the lifestyle you should take, leads to many times financial decisions that maybe aren't actually ours or work decisions that aren't actually our decisions. It's just more this messaging and we're going through the motions and, well, this is what everyone else is doing or this is what they said would be fulfilling to me, but I'm not exactly feeling that way. And so I think so much of it begins with that introspective look of what do I actually enjoy? Do I actually want to climb the corporate ladder? Some people do. Great. But as long as it's your dream and not someone else's dream for you, is it I want to be a digital nomad or "Mm, I want to travel, but I think I want the stability of a job that maybe I work remotely, but I have my my home, my place that I go to regularly. We really have to understand, well, first, what is that before we can even then make the money, career, et cetera, decisions around that and then actually experience a life that's fulfilling. Yeah, completely. And I call that lifestyle design. I don't know what you guys call it on the podcast. Yeah, lifestyle design. Yeah, we use that term for sure. That's funny. I actually just found out the other day I was recording a podcast and somebody told me that that's the term Tim Ferriss uses in the book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which I've never read. And I was like, oh, I had no idea that just intuitively made sense to me to call it lifestyle design. But hey, I guess it's a bigger term than me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can take credit for it, Nicole. I'm here for it. So let's chat about side hustles. Now, I don't know if some of the things you've mentioned were some of your side hustles, but I would love to hear within your financial journey what some of the side hustles that you had entailed. I've done a lot of side hustles throughout my adult years. Some have included my husband and I had a DJing business together. So we would do that primarily on the weekends. That was mostly weddings, sometimes a few parties. At another point, we had a mobile bartending business. So we built a mobile bar that we could take to different locations. We got our ramp certification so that we could serve alcohol responsibly and developed kind of signature cocktail drinks, usually again for weddings. We kind of found weddings are a good place to be able to make some side cash. And of course, that's something that happens on the evenings and on the weekends when we're not working our normal kind of Monday through Friday, nine to five jobs. 
I have also worked some side hustles within the world of mental health. So with having my, my master's degree and my licensure in social work, I provided counseling therapy kind of on the side to what I was still under a practice and took insurance like it wasn't this, sure, come into my basement and I'll counsel you. It was definitely legit, but it wasn't a, a full-time job. It was something that I did on maybe my, my one day off from my other work. And then really this, the podcast that I do, Frugal Friends Podcast, began as a side hustle, really a hobby. I don't know if I could even call it a side hustle because we weren't making money for a very long time. It was a hobby turned side hustle, now becoming a little bit more of a part-time job. That one has certainly been a surprise to me. But one of the things I like to say about side hustles is that for anyone thinking about doing this, if adding some extra income feels like it would help with savings or debt payoff or a travel goal that you have, I like to encourage people towards finding side hustle work within your your passions, your joys, the things that are life-giving to you. I know a lot of times we can think about, well, okay, what do I exactly do during the day? How do I then just recreate that in my after hours? And I think that might be the case for some people. It worked for me for a time doing social work as my day job and also providing counseling to people on the side. But those other jobs, the 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 podcast that I'm still doing, the DJing, the bartending alongside my husband, these were very separate for me from what I did in my typical world. It was mental health. It was a lot of trauma. It was a lot of human need, suffering, difficult work, and finding something that was another expression of my personhood that I enjoyed, but wasn't the same exact thing as what I did during the day. I think sometimes side hustles, there's a high degree of burnout, of really burning the candle of both on both ends and really hurting ourselves in that process for the sake of earning more. And so I really like to encourage people toward look for work that is something that you enjoy. And it doesn't have to mean that you're becoming an entrepreneur, you're starting your own business. It could mean some of this gig work of walking people's dogs or house sitting or getting a part-time job at the local florist. Who knows? It's like, what do you enjoy? Find something within that that's going to almost feel like a hobby that's life-giving that you find beautiful. Otherwise, there's not going to be much longevity in it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Thank you for noting that. I love some of those examples that you mentioned because I, in every example you mentioned, I know somebody who has started, for example, working at a florist part-time, just kind of like a side gig. And yes. now they have their own landscaping business. They didn't know that was their passion until they got a small part-time job. And that was years ago. They're now a business owner doing what they love. You hit the nail on the head when you said, do something that is a little bit different than what you do in the day. And I think a lot of the time we also kind of get wrapped into this. You have to go into a corporate job. And just because you have a job doesn't mean it's something that is your ultimate passion and purpose yeah. in life. We have multiple purposes and passions in life, but I think it's amazing to explore that like you did. You had so many unique 
side gigs. And I mean, the podcast, for example, you loved talking about finance with another woman and look what it has turned into. Sometimes we don't know what the end goal is. And it's good to have an idea of where you're headed. But I think sometimes we can become debilitated or or invest far too much thinking we kind of know exactly how this is going to play out versus just giving ourselves the permission and freedom to pursue something and, and see where it goes from there and making and setting these goals along the way. I don't know if I had known what would have happened with the podcast, whether or not I would have done it, probably. But it, it because there was some of that holding it with an open hand, we were able to see what it became and what skill sets I wanted to bring to the table and what does Jen want to bring to the table and let it grow and morph from there. And And like you're saying, I think I've seen that for so many other people who I don't know what this is going to become, but I want to set my hand to this thing. And and that's another piece, too. I don't think we have to invest a ton of money up front into some of these side gigs. In fact, I would say if it's going to cost you more than $1,000 to just get started, maybe rework your plan. Like just start, just begin somewhere with the lowest level of what do you already have in your possession, what tools are already in your tool belt, and just start and go from there. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that, too, it's important to note that I have started kind of like mini side hustles before. And after doing it for six months, a little bit longer, I realized I don't have a passion in this. I was mm -hmm. good at it, maybe, but just because I'm good at it doesn't mean it's something I'm passionate about. So it's OK to normalize. I think it's great to normalize that it's okay to change just because you have one thing or maybe you started and you're getting a bit of traction on one thing doesn't mean that's your one thing forever or it has to last forever. Change is okay. One of the things my co-host says that I love, it's okay to throw him a plot twist. It's totally acceptable. Go ahead and do it. And I think that can trip so many of us up, for me included. I mean, I invested a lot of time money, energy into getting my master's in social work, getting my licensure in social work. I'm, I'm glad that I have it. I still use it. But I think if I was so heels dug in on, well, I did this and I invested so much and I can't veer from it, I wouldn't have been able to explore some of these other things. That can limit us, this kind of sunk cost bias, whether that is sunk cost in money, sunk cost in time, in energy. We can feel as though we don't have freedom and flexibility to throw a plot twist, to choose something different. And I think if we can remove that shame from it and say, I did that, it served me well for that time, but it's, it's not giving me joy. There is this other thing that I can pursue that might be able to turn into something. I, I think we don't have to box ourselves in. Life is pretty long for the majority of us. And decade over decade, we may morph and shift our, our ideas, the things that we enjoy, what we want to set our hands to, our skill set. It's okay if you got your degree in one thing, but now you're discovering you want to work in a different field. That is okay. Exactly. I could not agree more. And I love that you talk about this and I talk about this to really kind of normalize it because it can be really scary, especially when you said like you have invested some time or some money or a bit of both. Um, it's OK. Life is an evolution. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm sure you wouldn't either if I hadn't have started 
my journey of leaving Canada and moving across the world, you know, and and I knew that it was okay to, if that didn't work out, to go back home, restart, kind of regroup, and then figure out what my next step again was. I love the permission you're giving to people by telling your story and sharing what's worked for you. That may not be what works for everybody, but it's opening up that that window, that door to what could I imagine for myself? And, oh, maybe this doesn't have to feel so shameful that I want to make this drastic change. So you have listed here, and I would love to dive into this, work in counseling. How is that similar to what you see in people dealing with money issues? So I'm curious, what's the correlation between those two? Well, as you've probably already heard me mention, I believe that we are whole people. We are physical, emotional, relational, mental, spiritual, financial, and all of these aspects of our lives do intersect. As much as we may try to separate them and that part of me is over here and this part's over here and that part I ignore, they are interconnected. And oftentimes we can see that where we might be having some difficulties or experiencing barriers in our mental health, there may also be experience, like difficulties and barriers in our financial health or our relational health. Oftentimes when we experience health in one area, it can trickle down in other areas or the opposite can be true. When we're experiencing some kind of non-beneficial or not helpful cycles in any one aspect of our lives, it can trickle into the others. And that that can work in our favor or it can work against us. I think we can see this. I don't I like to use the example of exercise because I think at some point we've all tried to engage or maybe are engaging in aiming at physical wellness and physical fitness and and how has that worked? How has that not worked? But I have seen for a lot of people okay, when we start to find maybe an exercise routine that works for us, then we can see those habits that we've built can trickle into other areas. Now we are curious and interested and actually engaged in, well, what kind of foods are going to be helpful for me? What do I feel better on? Which will trickle into oh, well, now I feel like I can kind of journal and I've created this routine and I want to focus on my mental health. And how is that relating to my relational health? We can start to see how one area can lead into benefits for the other. And of course, personal finance as well, because financial decisions definitely intersect with all of these aspects of relationships from, oh, How does going out to dinner with my friends affect my financial health or comparison of what other friends are able to do and afford and why can't I do that or choosing to go into debt to be able to afford or or be like what we perceive our friends or people on social media are able to do or financial decisions relate to our mental or emotional health. What are we doing to maybe cope with our current realities? Does it cost money? Most likely, yes. Not that it always has to, but if we're not being intentional about it, oftentimes we will default to spending money on our coping mechanisms. Physical health, as I've already mentioned, nutritional health, all of these things, money decisions are impacted by. And 
One of the things that I realized in the mental health world and counseling that I describe to people, they'll often ask, what happens when the door closes? What do you even talk about? And sometimes it's still a mystery to me. And that's what I love about it. Human beings are so unique and individual and there's not a one size fits all, which I think is lovely. But so much of the work that we do behind that door is related to boundaries and freedom finding and permission giving. And that is no different for our mental and emotional and relational health than from our financial health. We need to be able to find the freedom, find our values, find permission for ourselves, create boundaries. And I know that Boundaries can be such a dirty word sometimes or a word that can connotate negativity or deprivation or stringency, if that's a word. But really, I like to describe boundaries as demarcating where there's room to play, kind of where where is there room for me to roam and be free and play, but then where is that capacity line? Where is it, okay, but if I move past that, then it hurts me, and it maybe even hurts others in the process. And so a budget certainly is part of that, but really there's so much internal work that needs to happen related to our relationship with money, the story we tell ourselves about money, how we grew up understanding money before we can then make healthy decisions for ourselves with our finances, which then is inevitably going to bleed into the decisions we make with our career, our living situation, our lifestyle, our relationship. So Oh, I could go on and on, but they are interconnected and they are far more interconnected than maybe what we would want to say at the forefront. But if I could say, I think we are doing the work of becoming financially healthy if we are even right now aimed at emotional or mental health. Like we are on the right path if we're aiming at well-being that's going to trickle into these other areas of life. So I think anywhere that we can find health and beauty, and I'll use the word again, well-being for ourselves, we will, we will begin to experience that in all these other aspects of our lifestyles. Wow. That's, you know what? In you saying that, it's, it's really interesting to me because I feel like your perspective is very unique because you have of course, there's interest and passion in personal finance, but you also come from a background that is kind of the complete opposite of finance being <laughs> wellness and mental health. So your perspective is very interesting because you see every day how those two topics are married and the importance of kind of making sure that you balance both of those very well for an overall holistic happy well-being. So your perspective, I love to hear this. Oh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I I think this is what we're aiming at with with all of our lives. I mean, sometimes we'll use the word balance. I often prefer to use the word holding the tension. I think balance can be really hard to find or anytime we find that kind of equilibrium, something teeters out of control, but rather that holding the tension of okay, what is some good financial decisions to make? And what are some good uh, mental, emotional, relational decisions to make? And not letting the pendulum swing too far in any direction, but finding kind of that radical middle 
for ourselves of, I don't have to go so far deep in, into being a finance bro, but I also don't have to ignore my finances for the sake of living the life I want to live right now. There could be a both and that doesn't harm any one aspect of our personhood. In you kind of saying that, going to somewhat of a different topic, but staying on the same topic, when I was looking through your Frugal Friend podcast episode, there was one that really stood out to me that I loved, which was called How to Travel Full Time on a Budget. We'd love to talk about travel on this podcast and money, two of my favorite things. So I would love to hear your take on how to travel full time while on a budget. I'll just describe kind of the word budget. I know sometimes that can be another one of those dirty words that might feel like deprivation. But another way to say budget is spending plan. What is our spending plan? And what are, for all of us, even multimillionaires, there's going to be some degree of limitations here. And so part of this, when even before we set out to travel full time, looking at well, what are some of the parameters here? What would I hope to be able to spend, save? How do I hope to do that? What would be some of my goals? And how does that fit within my spending plan? What I have available to me? So I would say it is very important to start with a plan in place. Think about what it's going to look like. Of course, there's going to be curveballs. Of course, everything's not going to go exactly as you had imagined, but taking the time to look at what do I imagine is going to be incoming? What's, what's my, cat, my, my incoming cash going to look like? What do I imagine are going to be my expenses? And can this work within that? What, what can I afford to do here? And that is going to, of course, intersect with some of what we've already talked about of identifying values. Most likely, we're not going to be able to afford everything, but hopefully we can afford some things. And so that's going to take some work to decide what are the things. Maybe I had hoped in a year of full-time travel that I'd get to go to 10 different countries. But as I begin to crunch the numbers, I realize, oh, those flights are a little bit more than I thought that they would be, or the lodging might be more, or you name it. Maybe now I can only visit six countries. Okay, but what are those priorities? What do you value most out of your experiences? And what do you want those countries to be? So that's just an example. So first, it's going to have to do with planning. Then it's going to be sticking to that plan. But I do also want to say a few caveats and words about what full-time travel can mean. I think that that means a lot of different things to different people, whether that is full-time travel, meaning you still want, let's say you own a home, you still want to own your home, but you want the flexibility to travel. You want to come back and forth. That's going to be one situation versus I'm going to sell everything. I'm not even going to have a storage unit. We're just going to go and we're going to see where life takes us. Or fill in the blank. There's a lot of different things that full-time travel can be. So I think even defining that is important. How long are you going to be gone for? I think in the particular episode you're talking about, we were looking at particularly an article of a family of four who wanted to travel for a year. And that was their plan. And they were going to come back to the house that they were living in. And so what that full-time year of travel looked like was one thing. Of course, is that year going to be international travel? 
or is it going to be domestic to your passport country? That, of course, is going to change the dynamic of costs. Another thing that you can look at in prepping for a year of travel, if you want to do as much as possible, but on limited money, is considering even adding even more prep time to this of incorporating some travel hacking, maybe getting a credit card that you can take advantage of some of the bonus points that they offer, build up points, have some time to work and save money, have that set aside for whatever travel it is that you're hoping to do. And, and so that you can utilize these points for whether it's a car rental or booking flights or booking lodging. And then you're going to have to decide what is the degree of travel that you want? What are your priorities? Because again, most likely you're not going to be able to afford everything, but hopefully there'll be some things that you can afford. And so do you prefer the experiences and you don't care about lodging? You'll stay in hostels or you'll do the couch surfing thing, but you really want to do some of these really cool experiences. Or are you a little bit more of a person who says, no, I would rather do just the free hiking and sightseeing in the area, but I want these really luxurious places to stay. I think that's going to be another one of those pieces of what do I want? Where am I willing to splurge and where do I want to cut costs? So again, there's going to, if we're going to do this well and on a budget, quote unquote, or have a spending plan, there's going to be a lot of upfront work of what do I want? What do I have coming in? What can I spend? And making sure that there's a buffer for all of that. But recognizing, again, it's very similar to what we're going to talk about in our overarching lifestyle with finances. You want to look at those heavy hitters. It's going to be the travel, food, lodging that's going to cost you the most. And so looking at how much is that realistically going to cost me? Where could I decrease those costs? And maybe I take a bus instead of a train, or maybe we're, we're renting a car instead of doing a bunch of different Ubers, or maybe we are doing the lower budget lower cost lodging for the sake of these other experiences, that's going to be individualized on where you're going to want to cut, where you're going to want to spend. But there are certainly areas where, depending on your value system, you can cut. You can cut it in transportation. You can cut it in lodging. You can cut it in experiences. Uh, but of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you money. One of the other things I'll mention that when it comes to full-time traveling, the more you move around, the more it's going to cost you. So let's say you just want to go to one country for a year and experience what that lifestyle is. That is going to be significantly less expensive than doing the tour, than saying, I'm going to go backpack around Europe. That has the potential to be a lot more expensive than saying, I'm going to live for a year in Guatemala. So keeping that in mind as well with how often you plan to pick up and go, because those additional fees of transportation, the lodging, if you're not staying in a place that has a kitchen, you're probably going out for more meals. So keeping all of those things in mind is going to help in reducing costs. Hmm. That thank was a lot. That's <laughs> my mom. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say thank you for mentioning all of that. I think that's a lot to think about, to mull over, and for people to really consider, you know, where do they want their money to go? And you're so right. When you move around a lot, and my partner and I, we can attest to this, we've been moving around for about two years now. 
it, it can be a lot. But the one thing that I like that we have found, and I love geo arbitrage, I know you know what that is. And so sometimes it's nice because we find, okay, if we move around enough, some places will be a little bit more of a higher cost of living. But yeah. if we move around, our next place might be a lower cost of living. So I find that that does benefit us as well. And one travel hack, I know it's not available to everybody, um, mm -hmm. but one travel hack that I love is sharing all of my accommodation with a partner. <laughs> it saves me a lot of money and, and him as well. I have that. I know isn't available to everybody, but if you have a friend, a partner, even a family member, your mom, your dad wants to come down that can significantly reduce. And I think, too, a part of the prep process, you know, just thinking about what finances can look like once once you're out and about and you are doing the travel thing. Sometimes people will even look for work that they can do remotely. Let's say you want to travel abroad for a year or more, but you're in a location specific job even considering getting a job that you can do remotely in preparation for that year so that you're still making the income, but maybe you then don't have the expenses within your passport country. So that could be another thing to consider, yeah, especially for those who might not be able to travel with a partner, don't have a friend or, or relationship that, that they can go with. There are certainly things that can be done uh, some will require more prep than others to be able to make it possible if this is truly something that, that you want to do. Yeah, I, I really do believe, you know, that you can always make it work, but you can't have, like you said, you can't have absolutely everything. There are yeah. going to have to be areas and certain things that you kind of sacrifice. But if those are the areas that are less important to you and other areas are more important, then totally worth it. I truly believe that any type of travel lifestyle is absolutely feasible for everybody. But again, it does, like you said, take some planning and prep work and knowing your numbers and having that budget slash spending plan and not just kind of being very oblivious to what's happening in your credit card balance and your bank accounts and your investments yes. and being like, I'm going to go travel. No, <laughs> do not recommend. Yeah. Still be aware. Don't, don't ruin, don't ruin life for your future self. Care about them too. Exactly. I would love to chat to you about your food waste and how you save money by limiting your food waste. I mean, mm -hmm. I love not wasting, of course. I think all of us do, especially with the environment and everything kind of happening now, not wasting food. But you relate this to saving money and maybe being a part of your budgeting and saving money. So tell us more about that. Oh, Nicole, you're picking all of my favorite things to talk about. I am pretty serious about not wasting food for many reasons, for the environmental reasons and sustainability reasons that you're referencing, but also for money reasons. I, I think it's something, oh, it's something ridiculous. I, I, I probably shouldn't even throw out statistics because it's not going to be actually right, but we throw out a good amount of food as so I'm from the United States. So as as an American, we throw out a ton of food. And I know that that varies around the world, but we're doing some of the worst at it. And what that means is we're throwing out money because we spent money on it. And oftentimes what that means is the food went to waste that we bought because we're eating other food. 
probably going out or getting takeout. We're not cooking that food. So it's just hemorrhaging cash that we don't have to hemorrhage. And it's and it's not kind to the environment and it's not kind to our wallets to be throwing out this food that we bought, not using it in time. So a couple of the ways that and I will say the RV life really helped me with this. It was one of those side things I never would have expected, but living tiny and simply really connected me to my waste, all of my waste. <laughs> oh, too much of my waste. <laughs> Some of the not so fun and glamorous parts of that, but certainly food as well. And you don't have as much food storage. And so kind of being really vigilant and creative with what I'm choosing to buy, then making food with what I've purchased and not throwing it out because we don't even have much room to store trash, much less where do we take trash to. So that that was a really helpful process for me in just reduction of waste overall that I have carried with me now into my current lifestyle. But as it relates to food waste, I think a lot of it has to do with prep. Again, you're not going to find me talking about being good stewards of our finances or any of our other resources without talking about thinking ahead and planning and prepping. It takes hard work at first, but it can become second nature. So I, I have actually gotten to a point where I shop every two weeks. And so what I first do is look at my pantry and my fridge. What do I already have on hand and create a meal plan for the next two weeks based on what I currently have? Now, this is taking me years and years to get to this point. So please hear me when I say there's permission to not be great at this, to not meal plan for two weeks. I recognize that I'm a little bit an outlier in that, but this is where I've gotten to. And so at least even before we go to the store, even if you don't have time to write everything down or create a meal plan, at least take pictures of what do I already have on hand so that when you're at the store, you can know, okay, I don't need to buy another box of pasta. I don't need more beans. I've already got cheese because so often we're, we're buying because we just forget. And then that leads to waste. And then, of course, shopping what's in season. Not only is that good for our bodies, but it's good for our wallets as well. Of A lot of times what our bodies need in different seasons is what's in season. It's what's on sale at the store. So creating some of our food, our foods, our meals around that is going to be helpful. And then not going crazy with buying all of the things, choosing what's one or two veggies that I'm going to focus in on for this week. If you're a, a meat eater, what's one meat that we're going to get? What is one snack that we're going to have? And so I think, too, sometimes we can just feel like, oh, we're in this big section of produce and let me just collect all of the things. And then it goes to waste. It's that apple that never gets eaten. It's all of the lettuce that becomes wilty. And so choosing a few items and then using the internet to our favor to help us create different types of meals with those veggies. That's that's for me. For others listening, it might be, I don't mind. I'll eat the same thing every day. And that's beautiful. That is beautiful for reducing waste and reducing costs on our food budgets. But for my husband and myself, we really like variety. 
in our diet, but that doesn't mean that we have to then purchase a variety of grocery items. It can mean that, okay, I'm doing roasted veggies as a side for one meal, and then I'm throwing it into a wrap for another meal, and then I'm adding it to an omelet for another meal. So there can be ways that we can utilize food, the same food, in different ways that feels like variety to us. So that's been another way that I've reduced food waste. I will also say the freezer is my friend. So as I'm starting to get to the end of certain things, I just freeze everything. I know that there's rules around this, but I've not had issues with it. I don't care if it's pasta, it's milk-based, it's got a lot of water in it. I freeze it, pull it back out, roast it again. It's totally fine. So and then I I compost. And so for veggies that, okay, maybe I didn't get to use up the very end of this, I compost it. And that's not waste. That's good for my garden. It's good for the soil. It's good for the veggies that I'm growing outside. So lots and lots of ways that we can get creative and not throw away food. I love that. That is so amazing. I mean, I feel like you need to shout this from the rooftops because like you said, so many people just waste food. It's so easy to waste food. And I think it's kind of just normal to waste food, unfortunately, now. Okay, so in you saying everything you said, I have some questions. So you meal prep or plan out your meals for two weeks. So does that look like 14 days of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and you stick to that? Or is it kind of a little bit loose? What does that look like? So it does look like I stick to that. However, before I sound completely unrelatable, my meal plan does include going out. Like I can think about what's upcoming in our lifestyle. Okay, we're going out to fr- going out with friends this night. We're going to be traveling this weekend. Of, of course, there's times when I'm not going to be at home making all of my meals. But for what I do know, I write that into my meal plan. However, I make it as flexible as possible. So it's almost like here are lunch options. Here are dinner options. So I am not so boxed into, well, I said that Tuesday night was going to be this meal and it's what we're doing. There is room for flexibility or a change of taste of, ah, I know that I said this night we're going to do the the beaten goat cheese salad, but I think I'm feeling fajitas instead. But I have those items on hand and I can kind of switch things out. I know the types of meals that I can make and be able to be flexible and implement other things. But this is another thing that I know isn't accessible for everybody, but both my husband and I work remotely. So we're not needing to figure out a commute and, you know, packing a lunch the night ahead of time. And we are able to heat up leftovers from dinner the night before. And so that helps a lot too in being able to eat up the food that we have in the house not needing to yeah, be out, out and about, and we can kind of just have what's on hand. I love the flexibility aspect because when you were like, yeah, I meal plan and, and stick, stick to it. And I was like, <laughs> oh no, this sounds very <laughs> scary. <laughs> and I go in and out of this too. I, right now, and so this is a very intimate, vulnerable look at what's happening for us financially. We Food is one of, for all, a lot of us, our 
areas of discretionary spending where we spend a decent amount, but has the most room for decreasing the amount that we spend. And of course, that's one of the questions we get asked all the time. How do I decrease my grocery bill? And I get it because I ask that question a lot too. And especially with inflation, it's a very difficult landscape right now. But because it's one of the areas that that we can cut, that is discretionary spending, like I can't necessarily cut my mortgage in big ways. I can't cut my my transportation in big ways. I already only have one vehicle that I already that I hardly drive. It's okay, food, food we spend a lot of money on monthly. and And recently, we got hit with an unexpected tax bill. And so that really caused me to buckle down in some ways that maybe I wouldn't always like what I'm describing to you as where I'm currently at with food might not look the same in six months. So I don't want to scare people and make them think that they're doing something wrong if they're not doing it this way. I'm doing it right now. But I'm really creating a spending plan around my food right now, which includes some really enjoyable foods. It includes me learning new cooking techniques. It includes things that sound enjoyable because it's not going to have any longevity to it if there's not some enjoyable aspect to it. But I am really reining it in right now so that I can put some money back into savings that was depleted. So there's room to morph and shift as our financial landscape shifts, as savings goals shift, as exciting travel plans come on the horizon of, yes, I want to do that thing in six months, but how am I going to get there? Look at the heavy hitting expenses. Where can I cut? A lot of times it's going to be food and getting creative and maybe giving ourselves a season of I'm going to do my best to eat up what's in my pantry, to cook at home so that I can put a few hundred dollars aside additionally monthly to that goal of travel, that trip that I want to take with my friends or that solo trip I want to take. So this isn't necessarily a forever and always life plan, but I do think there's ways that we can implement some of these things that I'm talking about for even just a season so that we could see some some big strides in some of our financial goals. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love it. I love relating food to personal finance. I mean, it's never been done on the podcast before, but I love it. So this has been a really interesting episode. Thank you so much for your time, for being here. So where can people find you? Yay. This has been such a privilege to be on your podcast, Nicole. Thanks for having me. And you can find myself and my co-host, Jen, on the Frugal Friends podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And You can also find us on frugalfriendspodcast.com. We've got a membership where you can find community and other like-minded people. So yeah, Frugal Friends Podcast, just type it in. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared today. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel Podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.